HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour. We are live from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. I'm Eli Sussman, host of The Line. And if you're just joining us, I've been here for a couple days broadcasting live, talking to some amazing chefs and restaurateurs. And sitting right next to me is Ming Pu. Hey, how What's are you up? Doing? Uh, you are in town from Louisville. You've been doing some events down here. Yes, You're sir. repping 502 Bar and Bistro. Yes, sir. And right before we just went live, you let me know that actually. You're yeah. leaving in a couple weeks. Yeah, so. And you've got a new project coming out. So yeah. I guess we'll start with the biggest news, which is that Night Moves is your new project. Yes, sir. Tell me a little bit about it. What is it going to be like? When is it going to open? Timeline? So originally, you know, I was working on a Taiwanese uh, concept, but uh, we had a actual like a window in a bar that opened up a space. So um, we decided to go with, you know, Night Moves instead of Night Market because there's a Night Market in L.A. already, right? So Night Moves, the reason why we picked that name was because it's a uh, it's inside a '70s bar. So you know you're making Night Moves, right? So we're gonna be doing an Asian street food concept inside there, kind of clash with North American bar food. So, so is it going to be a restaurant with table service, or will it be more like a bar with snacks coming from like an order at the counter? What's the vibe gonna yeah. be like? So it'll be a quick service, uh, quick service counter service. Uh, spot inside of a bar so so but we're gonna try to do you know food that is you know very unique to, to, than just normal bar food right will you open up during the day or is it just gonna be at night do all the bars in operation so we're, we're gonna try to do you know early early and also late night so like you know maybe 4 p.m till 2 a.m that way people that don't really drink can come have snacks you know at four or five o'clock after work right so and so before we really dig into the food that you're going to be serving there, it's important to note that you were born in Taiwan. Yes, sir. You then moved to Vancouver, B.C. when you were pretty young. Yeah, seven years old, yeah. And you ended up in Louisville. Why? Yeah. By a weird twist <laughs> of fate, you ended up in Louisville for sort of a random reason, I feel like. Yeah, so uh, my brother graduated high school, you know, while we were in Canada, and he got a full ride to Iowa or L, and my parents were like, you know what, let's... Let's just move to Kentucky. Let's move there since he got a full ride. That way, 
you know, we can go as a family and just kind of develop there because Vancouver at the time was very, very expensive. So what I'm wondering is that Vancouver is having a well-known, large, thriving Asian population. I don't know much about Louisville. Was there a community built in for you when you arrived in Louisville? Was that you were young, right? But like, was that a jarring experience for you to go from Vancouver also, going from Canada to the United States, there's yeah. some differences there. So sure. talk a little bit about what that transition was when you moved to Louisville. So it was definitely very rough because, you know, in Vancouver, there was a lot of Cantonese, a lot of Chinese population. So, you know, it was easier to relate because of the food, right, in Vancouver. But when we moved to Louisville, there was only, in 99, there was only like two sushi restaurants. There was only a few Chinese restaurants, you know. So it was definitely a culture shock, you know. At the time, I've never had pimento cheese or shrimp and grits. None of that stuff before. I was like, yeah. what the hell is going on, you know? But now I love that, that style of food. So. And so as a young kid, your household, you, you know, both your parents had come over from Taiwan, right? And yeah. you're kind of growing up, you're growing up as an, as an American, as a young kid who's maybe looking to perhaps distance yourself a little bit from maybe Taiwanese culture and like form your own identity. Um, Can you talk a little bit about like what it's like to grow up as a first generation American and also in the South? So it's very interesting. So like, you know, going back to like middle school when I grew up in, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, like, um, you know, I would bring, my mom would make me lunch and I'd bring it to school and kids at school would be like, what the hell are you eating? You know, I'd have bubble tea. No one knew what bubble tea was, you know? Yeah. So um, it was very hard to, to make that transition during that time, right? So, you know, trying to, you know, like when I became a cook and a chef, I steered away from Taiwanese cuisine for a long time because I wanted to learn Southern and New American, right? Um, but then now that I'm older, I'm like, okay, I can go back to my roots, right? So. And so when you are in high school and you're starting to figure out about yourself and getting more sure of what your passions are, did you gravitate towards food at a pretty young age? Was there something in high school and or college that you thought, I'm definitely going to do this and something kind of changed your course of direction? Um, So actually, I I really wanted to get into food when I was a kid already, you know, because when we lived in Taiwan, uh, my mom cooked five days a week. You know, and we'd go to these compounds, like markets, and you'd go to a certain vendor to buy fresh fish, fresh vegetables, you know, um, and I'd help her prep. So I always enjoyed cooking as a kid, but my dad didn't want me to to be a chef. My dad was like, you're going to be an accountant, you're going to be a pharmacist, whatever, right? So, um, so I had the passion at a young age, but... You know, I went a different different direction right after high school, not culinary, you know. There is that pressure often with, yeah. like, first generation yeah. to just, like, I've made a lot of sacrifices. And yeah. <laughs> therefore, you must go a traditional route, which is go to school, get a degree, and now go into a, a professional field. Exactly. Of course, now being a chef and working in food has yeah. uh, obtained a certain level of uh, a status within our exactly. society as like, oh, this is a real job. And people kind of revere chefs as being both creative and business people at the same time. Yeah. So did you go to culinary school or did you go to a, uh, a trade school or a university? How, how did you kind of get into the food world? So I started out uh, when I when I graduated high school, I started out working at a pizza place, washing dishes and then making pizzas. And then I was going to college for accounting. <laughs> so I went to school for a year, 
uh, for accounting dropped out. I was like, screw this. I hate it. You Parents know? were not happy about that. Yeah, they, sure. they hated it. You know, so I was like, I got to do something. So I started going to culinary school in Louisville called Sullivan University. Um, and then from there, I, I worked my way up at a hotel uh, and then moved on to a Pan-Asian fusion restaurant. So, so the hotel that you worked at was in Louisville. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so... What a lot of people don't know about working in hotels relative to just a standalone brick and mortar restaurant is that it, it is quite different, right? It there's is. there's a lot of pieces that involve a hotel restaurant that uh, there can be room service, there can be stipulations on your hours of operation. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes there's weddings and buyouts and things like that, right? Yeah. So um, did you get to see a lot of those things? Was it a, was it a big hotel? Was it a boutique hotel? Um, and what was your entry point like into working in that fast-paced environment? Uh, for sure. So it was the, the hotel was called the Brown Hotel. It was a pretty big operation um, in Louisville, Kentucky. One of the, one of the oldest hotels, actually, and um, that's where the hot brown came from, too. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Um, but it was it was uh, really eye-opening because you're open 365 days a week. We're doing banquets for, you know, 500 here, 400 here at the same time. Yeah. And it was you know coming from a pizza restaurant going to working at a triple a four diamond hotel was a like crazy experience because you know I, you know i learned a lot of skills when it came to high volume and quality you know so how do you how did you make that decision to move on to your next job so you know a lot of people that listen to the show are young yeah. line cooks like a sous chef who's maybe about to get promoted to cdc yeah. and it is really difficult to make that decision to For say sure. I've either, either learned enough from this job or I'm hungry for something new. Obviously, yeah. you're making a change in two weeks by, yeah. by leaving your current position. So sure. when you're at that hotel and you're kind of soaking up all that information, yeah. what were you looking for next and how did you find it in Louisville? So um, while I was at the hotel, the main, the main goal was to learn how a hotel like banquet and restaurant operates, right? So and to see how they operate, function 24 hours a day. And, you know, during that time when I thought I was ready to move on, th the next point was, where do I want to work, you know? And there was a chef, a Malaysian chef in Louisville. Uh, he's my mentor, Chef Peng Louis. He owned Asia Teak Restaurant. I really wanted to work for him because I did research on a lot of the main chefs in the city. So uh, that was one that captivated, you know, my eye. So while I was at the hotel, I wanted to go work at Asia Teak. So I got an internship under Chef Louis while I was still working at Brown. And then finally they hired me on after uh, being an intern for three months with, you know, no pay. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and, and that's, you know, I feel like for young chefs, young cooks that are up and coming, they should find, find what they want to do, right? Find, find a menu or a restaurant they like and, you know, try to, try to get their foot in the door, whether they have to wash dishes or whatever from, from the start, right? So... I'm wondering how you found your own voice creatively as a chef because born in Taiwan, yeah, moved to Vancouver, yeah. then moved to Louisville. Yeah. There could be a a thought process where you're like, I'm just gonna abandon all that and maybe just cook American <laughs> food. Like yeah. just dig in deep to what can you know Kentucky Southern food could be. For sure. Or maybe mash them together and do whatever you, you yeah. might want to do in at your next restaurant, night moves. But yeah. um, how did you find that? creative voice and are you still do you feel like you're still honing it or do you feel like you've kind of zeroed in on what that is uh so you know it it took you know 12 years of you know finding myself as far as a, a cook and a chef you know to figure it out so i started out you know learning french cuisine right learning new american 
And then I went moved on to Asian Fusion, and then I got tired of that. I was like, all right, I'm sick of this. And I went back to Southern and I, you know, New American. And from there, I was like, okay, I know this food now. I know like what the South is about, you know, you know the, the basics of it. And now, you know, for me, I'm like, all right, I, I want to go back to my roots because when I go back to my roots and I cook the food that I love, it shows through the food. So now what I do is I take Kentucky ingredients, Southern ingredients, and I mash it with um, Taiwanese cuisine, you know, to kind of make it, because there's a lot of rel uh, relativity between Taiwanese ingredients and Southern ingredients. How so? You know, so like, what are some examples? You know, you look at rice. You know, you look at all the pork, all the chicken that's in the, you know, that's used in the South. Mm -hmm. uh, Taiwanese cuisine has a bunch of pork, a bunch of chicken, you know, in their dishes. And then you look at there's a Southern dish, crab rice, right? In Taiwan, there's a Dungeness crab fried rice, and you know, so like, there's a lot of Relativity and then um, Hoppin John, you know, I've done a variation where it's like a fried rice, but I do a crab Hoppin John with black vinegar, superior broth. So it's like a mashup of Taiwanese Taiwanese flavors with the southern dish, right? The, I love that how there's things that you uh, can either they do exist or you can yeah. find a narrative to kind of weave them together to tell yeah, a story. Like sure. if there's you know a couple ingredients that mirror each other and maybe yeah. you're adding a sauce to kind of put your spin on it. For so. Sure. For people that are listening that just are not really familiar with the food of Taiwan, yeah. can you talk about that flavor profile a little bit deeper? For sure. Some of the um, the spices that you use, yeah. and if there's sort of like a, a couple staple dishes that you're yeah. going to put on the menu that really speak to your love of that cuisine? For sure. So, so you know, Taiwan as a country hasn't been, uh, history-wise, it's not very old, right? So it's the last 100 years. Um, it's the Fujian province of China. China. A lot of the people immigrated to, to Taiwan during the Revolution, Civil War in China. So, so the influence is very heavy from China. The flavors are, you know, very bold. Like spice-wise, we use a lot of star anise, cinnamon, you know, coriander, cloves, uh, and then herb-wise, you know, cilantro is in everything. Thai basil is in everything, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then some of my favorite dishes. Like Luro Fun, which is the dish I made for Charleston for the wine. It's a braised pork belly um, uh, stew over rice. And usually they put uh, crispy shallots, uh, fresh cilantro, fresh scallions. Um, it's a stew dish that's stewed for like six hours. Um, the pork belly is usually diced, like small dice. And there's shiitake mushrooms, demerara sugar, um, five spice. You know, I like to use like the whole five spice, you know, not the powder, you know. Um, yeah, so it's super umami, super rich and comforting. You know, that's one of the main dishes. And a, a second dish that I love that's considered a national dish is a Taiwanese beef noodle soup. And it's a, usually a beef shank that's, you know, made in, for, like, braised for, like, four or five hours. And the broth is, has, like, doubanjang, which is, like, chili bean paste and um, all kinds of stuff, you know, so delicious. So. What's cool about looking at restaurants and trends kind of like on a national level is if you yeah. go back a decade and you think about pizza really having this explosion yeah. and then maybe like high-end sushi the last five, seven years or something like that. Yeah. Now, especially in New York, what you're seeing is actually like a lot of Taiwanese yeah. food is really getting its time to shine, Yeah. Um, which coincides really wonderfully with yeah. you working sure. on your own project. Um, for sure. It's great that it's a fortuitous moment for you. Do you yeah. feel like you're kind of coming in at the right time, but it is weird because obviously this is the food that you've always loved and that you've exactly. always been cooking. Um, does Louisville have any other restaurants right now that are going to be doing 
anything similar to what you're doing? Or are you going to be like kind of the new game in town? Uh, I think I'll definitely be one of the first ones doing Taiwanese cuisine. Uh, there, there's been a few that that's open, but you know they've they've come and go because I don't think Louisville was ready for that just yet. But I think with the voice I have in Louisville right now, it'll be easier to educate people on on what what Taiwanese cuisine is. You know, because if if the people trust the chef, they'll eat the food, right? But if they don't know what the hell's going on, you know, they're probably not gonna try it. So you know, we're we're incorporating all these Taiwanese dishes like easily and it's not we're not gonna put like whole fish like with head on you know <laughs> we're not doing that i mean i would come eat that if i was yeah. down there i think some people would but yeah. um yeah that might be a tougher sell yeah uh, i'm wondering about leadership yeah. and growth in that capacity of yeah. course we could talk about food the entire time sure. but as a small business owner myself yeah. with a very small restaurant yeah. you're about to go and do your own thing for sure um leadership and and making your employees happy for sure keeping them around yeah. is something critical that the industry is really talking about right now so i'm yeah. curious um how do you think of yourself as a as a leader uh -huh. and what are you always trying to do in that realm to uh to get better yeah uh, on that side of the of the culinary world as well i think you know for me the past four years running a restaurant is you know being the leader of the kitchen um i try to take care of my employees and see what their needs are you know and make sure they come first, right? And of course, customers come first, but uh, employees also, you know, all my cooks, you know, I, I take care of them very well as far as pay and, and scheduling. And, you know, we try to create a non-toxic environment to where, you know, you know, when crap hits the fan sometimes, th there's yelling involved, right? But but when it comes down to it, there's no hard feelings. And, you know, we, I feel like you just got to be sensitive to what how people feel, you know, because, you know, it's not like back in the 90s where, a chef can throw pots and pans anymore. It's not like that, you know. No, it's, that's, that's so toxic. That does know? not fly. It shouldn't have flied no, back no, then. And it like, shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and even furthermore, just kind of making it so that when your cooks come into work, yeah, not only do they do they want to be there, but they want to kind of grow with the restaurant, For right? Sure. So yeah. as you have moved into the sort of final leg of opening up your own place, and you're yeah. really getting close right now, yeah. Um, what are some of the things that like you've learned from other places that you've worked that you've put into effect at your new spot? Whether it's something as small as like a standard best practices yeah. docs in the kitchen or recipes, like let's go really deep inside baseball here. Like yeah. what's something that you're doing at your restaurant that is exciting to you that isn't like a dish that's on the menu? Uh, I think as far as, you know, giving my, like one, one main thing, giving all my employees two weeks pay vacation after after a year, you know, a lot of places for, you know, line cooks, they don't give any paid time off, right? So it's, that's very rare, honestly. Yeah. 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 So th I think that's one of the main things I will keep doing, you know, and if I can, maybe each, the longer they work for me, the more PTO they get. Mm -hmm. That way there's, you know, some self care going on, you know, that way you have t some time away from, you know, all the craziness, right? So. Huh. You, you referenced night markets yeah. a little bit ago, and yeah. for for people listening that aren't familiar with yeah. what that is and like how big of a part of the culture it plays, like yeah. you're going to be doing some things with your menu that are sure. that are plays on that, like yeah. small snacks and street yeah. side stuff. Yeah. Um, can you talk about a couple night market type items that you're going to be putting on your menu? For sure. So we have a, a fun one. So um, it's a it's like a rice roll, and they usually stuff it with like pork floss and 
you know, like some pickled vegetables. And so we're doing like a, it looks like a sushi roll, but it's not. And we're, you know, we're putting a fried egg, pork floss. We're going to put like a furikake on the outside and some pickled vegetables on the inside. You know, it's a handheld. It's easy to eat. And then we're also doing, you know, like a twist on, a, you know, fried chicken sandwich. We're doing Taiwanese fried chicken sliders, you know, um, as a sandwich. So it's handheld, you know, because usually in Taiwan, they're just bits and pieces of nuggets, which are delicious. But, um, but if it's just handheld, one-handed, you can eat it easily, right? You don't have to hold a vessel, you know. So those right. are the two main things that, that will be easy to eat. So. Obviously, an important part of any business is like it's got to be profitable, for right? Sure. It's got to make sure. money. At the end of the yeah. day, you and I can conceptualize dishes and have yeah. a great time and and cook to our heart's content. Yeah. But like, you need bodies in the seats, right? For so, sure. you're opening up a business. Um, did you have to go out and fundraise? Um, did you take on new partners? Uh, that can be like a really scary thing. So, yeah. how did you kind of go out on your own and and achieve what really every young cook is yeah. probably looking to do, which is open sure. their own spot? So we got we got really lucky. Um, you know, one the landlord that owns the bar, uh, he he's an old friend, and also he owned he owned the building that uh, ran Asia Teak. So uh, I knew him for years, and he you know reached out to me about this opening, and he was like, "Look, rents basically free for five six months, and then and then it's like under a grant." You know, so I was like, "Wow, like that's crazy," you yeah. know. And I've been looking for a spot for a long time, and uh, we have two partners but you know these two business partners we've been wanting to go into a business together already so so you know we didn't really have to fundraise much we you know we're coming out of pocket you know so it's a low low liability you know entrance you know so so it's not bad that's great it sounds yeah. like you found a little workaround yeah that most people have to do which exactly. is go out and raise a couple hundred yeah. g's to to get their project done for sure so uh the restaurant is the restaurant bar is going to be called Night Moves. Yeah, so it's it's a it's going to be a a window inside of a bar called High Horse, but the the uh, window is going to be called Night Moves. So and yeah. first day open, do you have a set date, target date to get open? So we're looking at middle of May. Is uh, so we're coming up. Yeah, we're pretty yeah. close. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, is there an Instagram or a website where they can follow along and? follow along with you and also make sure that they learn more information about the opening yeah so uh the instagram tag is uh, at night moves uh l-o-u lou and uh my my instagram tag is at ming h-p-u uh and yeah you can find me and find uh what's going on with uh that project on those instagram tags so awesome chef thank you so much for yeah. swinging by the heritage radio network lounge at charleston we yeah. appreciate you sharing your story and yeah. giving us a little background on your new project for sure thank obviously you. we wish you a ton of luck and a ton of success down in louisville for those of you listening if you are living in louisville or traveling down there go see chef at his new spot mid-may when it opens up uh of course we'll be back in a couple minutes with tons more content here from charleston food and wine stick with us here heritage radio network live we'll be right back this program is powered by simplecast